0: Well, good morning everybody, glad you're here. You can find your seats. We're gonna jump back into our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are in the midst of our series wrapping up. We have two weeks left. And then I think we're gonna actually do a short series called um, Spring Training. And so we're gonna have like a couple of weeks and it's gonna be spring training around here. And so, you know, bring your baseball uniforms. We're all gonna wear baseball uniforms on the stage. It's gonna be really hip but we're not, but anyway. We are going to do kind of a short series before we start our summer series, which will be First Kings, Second Kings, and Second Chronicles, and kind of doing those together as a historical book and walking through those through the summer, so you can be preparing for that. But we are finishing this series in Ecclesiastes. The title of our series is When All Has Been Heard, and if you remember, King Solomon wrote this. He comes to the end of the book, which we'll be at next week. And he says, the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humans, for all humanity. Solomon, if you remember, was the wisest king to ever live. He had supernatural wisdom given by God. He asked for it, God granted it to him, and Solomon used that wisdom, we find out in Ecclesiastes, kind of badly. He used that wisdom for his own personal gain on this earth, and it left him, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, miserable. He felt like life was futile, it was meaningless, what's the point? And at the end of the book, he comes to this conclusion, well, the point was, I missed it. I missed that I was supposed to be in awe and reverence of God my entire life, and I was supposed to call people to obey God instead of just doing what works pragmatically, and I failed. And that's where Solomon finds himself. The wisest man to ever exist outside of Jesus that we know of scripturally And he used that wisdom wrongly. And God never took it from him. And you know, that's something that's hard for us. It's hard for us to think, well, if God doesn't want me to do this, then he would just take it from me. That's not how God works. God gives us free will, and we don't understand how that fits in with his sovereignty, but he does. And it's crazy, and it's mysterious. And you can not believe in it, and you can try to believe in anything else, but it doesn't change anything. Because the world just says, well, there's fate, what's going to happen, and then there's your choices. Exactly. That's God's sovereignty and our free will. It, it doesn't go away. You have to live with the reality of those things. And so today we want to look at chapter 11. You know, Solomon's been chasing everything in the world. That's why it says that the conclusion of the matter, when all has been heard, when you've seen it all, when you've done it all like I have, the conclusion of the matter is you better learn to be in awe of God and you better learn to obey him. As we wrap our last two series, as we come down to the end of the book, this is what Solomon basically says in chapter 11. You don't know, so delight in the Lord. And if you look at that statement, it's almost like an oxymoron to us. Because we don't tend to delight in things we don't know. We tend to get angry and frustrated and bitter when we don't know things that we want to know. And God says, no, no, you don't understand. There is so much you don't know. There is so much you're never going to know. There is so much that you cannot wrap your head around because you're not God and you're not all-knowing. And you... there's so much that you better learn to delight in me above trying to chase anything else. Because if you don't, you're going to look like a fool and you're going to not know anything at all. And Solomon kind of lays that out, you know, Our modern world tells us just to get one more thing, one more piece of knowledge, one more, and that'll be enough. Then I can really delight in God. Then I can go to church. Then I can do this, right? I'll I'll clean myself up. Then I'll go to God. You can't. You've just got to decide in your heart one day that I'm done. I'm not going to delight anymore in the things that this world offers. There is a God who delights in me and sent his son to die for me because he delights in me. He gave his life and paid the penalty that I owe. And so he just asked me to delight in him and his ways from this point forward. And I've got to do that. And I've got to learn how to do that. And if I don't know how to do it, I just have to do what I do know. And I don't have to worry about all that I don't know. And that's really the message of Scripture. So here's what I want you to do. As we start this morning, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, you don't know. Go, turn to them. Say, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. Isn't that so refreshing to tell someone that? Isn't it great? Especially if you're husband and wife, right? You're just like, you don't know. But see, that shows our attitude, right? Like... We like to tell other people they don't know, but we don't like to be told that we don't know. Right? Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and then I want you to tell them this. Delight in the Lord. You see, you see how much easier that is than you don't know? <laughs> like, delight in the Lord. So our world is promising us delight. And God says, you're never going to find it without me. That is the promise of scripture. He says, you can chase your knowledge and your life and all that kind of stuff and you're not going to ever know anything. Jesus said, I came and I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me, through delighting in me, through knowing me, through having a relationship with me. You know, Solomon he knows. We can make many claims, many predictions. We can promise people things, but the problem is we don't really know. You know, I never told my kids, I'll always be there for you. Never said those words because it's not true. I can't always be there for my children. It's impossible. I'm one man who can be in one place at one time, and sometimes God doesn't want me to be there for my kids. He wants to be there for them without me. He wants them to trust him, not daddy. Daddy. And so I never told my kids, I'll always be there for you, because it's a lie. I can't promise that. I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to go home and be with Jesus. We drove home from Muncie last night. We thought we might be home with Jesus on the way home. We told our daughter, do not try to drive. As soon as we got on the highway, there's wrecks everywhere and cars everywhere. We're like, oh, yeah, you might not want to drive home since you have astigmatism and can't see at night, because we can barely see. And it's 30 miles an hour with the blinkers on to get home last night, thinking, I don't know if we're going to make it. Now, once we got past India, it was great. It's like, oh, now I think we're going to make it. But I still didn't know if we are going to make it. You don't either. And that's just honest to admit that. So let's dive in. In Ecclesiastes 11.1, Solomon is giving some kind of poetry wisdom here. He's laid out some things in the book. In these last two chapters, he's kind of giving a poetic metaphor kind of examples, like he does in the book of Proverbs at times, as he does in the Song of Solomon as well. He says this. Send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven, even eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. You don't know. Send your bread on the waters. What in the world does that mean, right? It's actually pretty simple. It's an investing term. It's trade your grain around the world. What you've grown, the fruit that you've produced, you need to send out across the globe. Don't just trade with your neighbor. Just don't keep it all safe. Don't build bigger barns. No, no. You need to be willing to risk it because the rest of the world needs this grain and it helps you to be able to produce more of what you need to produce. That's what Solomon is saying. Now, sending your grain on the waters in this day was scary. Most ships didn't come back when you sent your grain on the water. They sunk. This it was scary. You got pirates. You've got storms. You got ships that aren't like the ships we have today. Like it, it was much less scary to send your grain, kind of with your control, with an army that you can control and send across, and with protection. Or you take a little bit of grain, or you just trade with your neighbors, sending it across the waters. Only the really wealthy people did that. They risked the leftovers they had. Solomon is saying, no, 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 no. If you understand God, if you understand that you don't know what will happen, if you fully delight in him, then you want everyone else to delight in him and you want to send that as far out as you can send it because you recognize the investment will come back many days, many months, many years, many generations later by the way, when you shipped things via the waters in this day, it wasn't like today. It took a very long time. (laughs) They didn't have boats with engines to drive them across the water. They had sails, and then the wind would stop, and then they're just sitting waiting in the middle of the ocean for wind to pick back up. Like, It was a scary thing, and so when he says many days, he's saying, you really don't know how long it's going to take. You have to make investments not knowing how it's going to pay off. You have to to share who God is and know that God wants you to do it, but you may never see it, and it's okay. Do it anyway, because why? Because you understand that God's the one that's provided the grain for you. He's the one that's asked you to send it, and if he wants you to have more grain, he'll provide more. What are you hanging on to? Delight in him and quit delighting in all he's given you, the grain. Oh, I'm so happy with you, God, because you've given me so much. Well, what if you'd send it all out? Then what? Well, I'm still happy with you. Now, we have to remember this because we forget. This is also the story of the manna in the Old Testament. Remember, the manna would come down when the people left slavery. God miraculously provided bread from heaven called manna. That manna spoiled every day. They couldn't store it. They had to go out and gather it up. It's what they needed, and they had to trust God for the next day's provision, right? They could send it out that day for other people to eat, but they could not keep it because God was teaching them, you have to depend on me. And what did the people of God end up doing? Griping and complaining because you won't let us store anything. You won't let us have anything. You We're sick of trusting you day in and day out. This is so monotonous. You have miracle bread. You don't have to grow. It requires nothing of you but to just literally wake up and walk out of your tent and go, food. That's all it requires. And it's fully nourishing to you. It gives you all the strength you need. And you're like, no, I really feel like Chinese tonight. I I wish I could get me some, you know pizza hut, that'd be good. You have miracle bread from heaven that you can share with everybody because there's as much of it as you can collect and it's everywhere and you can share it all day long and trust God for the next day. Tell our culture that. You're labeled irresponsible in our culture if you live that way. God says, man, send it out. What are you so worried about? Now, let me clarify. When God says this, here's our problem today. God doesn't say, send out borrowed grain or imaginary grain on the waters. That's what we do. We want to borrow grain and send it out and then say, look at what you did, God, and then we're in debt to grain. God says, send the grain out that I've provided for you, that you've delighted in. Don't go chase, well, I want people to think I can send out grain. I I want people to think that I can do all this stuff. And so then you go in debt to show off for something you don't need to show off for. Just show what God has done. Collect what he's given you. Do what he's asked you to do. And to be generous. That's why he says, give seven or eight. He's like, you better give it away generously, seven and eight times away, because you don't know if you're going to even be here tomorrow. So don't hang on to everything, he says. Solomon's laying this out. He's like, look, I figured this out. Solomon's looking around at his kingdom, and he has more gold than anybody. He's got more wives. He's stored up 1,000 women for himself, 700 wives, 300 concubines. This guy has done nothing but store up and create peace and create prosperity for his nation. He's coming to the end of his life, and he's like, I didn't fulfill the call of God to take God's plan to the nations and ask them to fear him and submit to him. I compromised the whole time. I made peace with people I should not be at peace with and now God is corrupted and I've corrupted everyone in my nation. And it leads to the nation falling apart in just a couple of generations. That's what Solomon's writing. He's like, look, I figured this out now and I wasn't thinking about this. Guys, we have to really, look at what Jesus said. You think, oh, that's Solomon. Okay, Solomon was the wisest man other than Jesus. How did Jesus tell us what Solomon said? Jesus, the wisest man that ever exists, says, do not collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. What are you looking to get? What do you keep wanting? What's that one more thing that you think, well, if I know that, if I get that, then I'll believe in God. Then I'll delight in God. Then he'll prove himself to me. What is, what is, he says, look, quit trying to collect all this stuff and just believe that there is a God and that he sent his son and understand that if Christianity isn't real, then it is the first religion of all religions to dismiss in the world because it's different than all the rest. All the other religions are you can save yourselves by works. You work hard enough, you do the right thing, you do all the moral things, you store up all this treasure, and you get to heaven and you go, here God, and God's like, oh, you could come in because you're so good, but oh, you didn't make it. Christianity is the only one that, if you, Christianity actually says if you come like that before God, you will be cursed to hell. Because it's pride when you come to God and say, here's all the stuff I did, now you owe me. God says, Just believe that everything you do, if you're taking your delight in me, that it's going on to heaven, and it's going to change people, and it's going to make a difference. But are you taking a delight in me, or are you taking delight in what you know? And man, that is a subtle problem that we have that we need to wake up to. And Jesus says, look, store up treasures in heaven. Here's the thing about treasures in heaven. When you send treasures in heaven, you don't know if they got there. Just like when you send out grain, you don't know if it got there. You think it did? I think, I, store, I think it was the right thing to do. I think I did it with the right heart. I think I did but I don't know. You just have to trust the Lord. You have to trust the Lord that he's taking that treasure and counting it on your behalf because of what the relationship that you have with Jesus, because he did it through you. It's not you sending it on and saying, God, there you go, because I did it. It's you saying, God, you've given all this to me. You gave me your son. You've given me the Holy Spirit. You've given me life and breath. And whatever I do, it's just back to you because you did it through me. That is the message of Christianity that is radically different. And it's the message of the Old Testament that Solomon didn't live by until he woke up one day. He's like, oh, wait, I missed it. I missed the true message of God throughout all of history. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Understand that after many days, you're going to die. And if you've known me and you've taken your delight in me, and you, if your life didn't turn out how you wanted and things were crazy, it's okay. Because if you've loved me, if you've delighted in me, if you've feared me, if you've obeyed me because you love me, then one day you're going to get to heaven and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You sent your grain ahead. Because I provided it for you and you knew it goes on and says this, Jesus says, gives a parable about someone who had much grain. And Jesus tells this parable, and he says, the guy stored up all this grain, he built all these giant barns to fill his grain with, like we have storage sheds on every corner in our town, to fill all our stuff with, and then he says, then I'll say to myself, self, I have many goods stored up for many years, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself, Does that eat, drink, and enjoy yourself sound familiar? Yeah, it's repeated through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But he keeps asking, why are you eating, drinking, enjoying yourself? Are you eating and drinking and able to enjoy life because you fully delight in God? You know he has your back and whatever happens to you, it's okay. Or are you eating, drinking, and delighting because of this guy? That you think you've done it right? You've stored it up. You know what's going to happen. You've got control. And he says... But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you've prepared, then whose will they be? You could have sent this to bless others. You could have done so much work and instead you just kept it all to yourself. You kept the fruit to yourself. Then who's it going to be? Then he says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you. Don't worry about your life. See, the reason we store up is because we think we don't have and we're worried about not having. Then we store up and get and we're worried about losing it. And Jesus is like, stop. Trust me, quit, you're worrying. And you want to know if you're not worrying? What do you do with the extra God's given you? Because you'll worry about it if your heart's not in the right place. Then he says, what will you eat? Or about the body, what you will wear. Don't worry. Delight in him. You don't know what's going to happen. James says it this way. An apostle of Jesus. He says, come now, you rich people. Man, I am so glad none of us are rich. I'm so glad that, you know, we're not like most third world countries, you know, that have incredible health care and. You can show up at the hospital and they'll treat you. They don't ask you if you have money first. Where there's so many for hiring signs all around our city, I don't know what to do. Folks, if you live in America, you are rich. Period. We are, you are rich. The question is, what will you do with it? And you say, well, no, but I have this. And yeah, because instead of storing up the grain and producing the grain, you went in debt to borrow grain. That's why you're not rich. Because you listen to the world and you listen to their ways of doing things and now you're in a pickle. And God's like, you can get, and guess what? You can still get out of it in our country. We don't have debtor's prison. Most countries have debtor prison. You go in debt and they throw you in jail and you never pay it off except by dying in slave labor. The United States does not have debtor's prison. That was actually one of the founders' main rules. We are not going to have desert debtors' prisons like Great Britain did with us as their colony because they were throwing people in debtors' prisons for not paying the stamp tax and their taxes. And they're like, that is not going to be what we do. It's the reason why we even have bankruptcy in our country. Bankruptcy! Other countries don't have bankruptcy. They kill you or they throw you in prison. We have like... We're so generous as a people and so wealthy, we'll just pay off your debt. Well, not really. We just go in more debt. But anyway, like at some point, you have to admit, I'm rich. Listen, if you delight in Jesus, if you know you know Jesus, you are the richest person to ever exist on the face of the planet, according to the scriptures. Quit believing otherwise. You may not have the earthly physical stuff. You may not have the wife you want, the kids you want, the job you want. Doesn't matter. If you have Christ, you have the riches of heaven waiting for you, Jesus says. Not because of what you've done, but because of how generous he is. He's forgiven your bankruptcy. He has set you free, and he has put you on level ground before him. That is amazing. Man, take your delight in that. Even in the midst of the big mess that we have, take your delight in knowing that I have a soul and an eternity guaranteed to me because of what God has done. And so James says, look, come you who are rich, you rich people. The question isn't, are we rich? The question is, why don't you see yourself as rich? You don't know what's gonna happen. Oh wait, yes I do. I know I'm gonna be a co-heir with Christ. I am going to reign. The Bible says that human beings who follow Jesus are actually going to judge the angels someday. We're above the angels. That's nuts. That's our religion, that's our way of doing faith. And it should amaze us. Then he says, Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. See, here's the deal. If you're a rich person in the world, you weep and wail over the fact that you know someday you're going to lose it all. You're going to die and somebody else is going to get it. If you're a Christian and you know the riches of heaven, you weep and wail because you live in a world where you can't get access to those riches. Either way, if you see yourself as rich, you're going to be someone who weeps and wails. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. That doesn't mean we need to walk around and be sad all the time. We're to be, take our delight in the Lord. Like, I delight in Him, but this world stinks. That's the proper response. And Solomon, now at 60, is figuring this out, and he's ruined his nation. Because it took him this long to get here. James is writing. He's saying, look, don't ruin the church. Realize this. Then he says, your wealth is ruined. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are, co- are, are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and you will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. You say, well, we're not in the last days yet. The Antichrist isn't here and blah, blah, blah. No, the Bible says we're in the last days. There is nothing else for us to do than to delight in the Lord and to wait for his return. That's it. We got nothing else to do. There's, there's, There's no land we're taking like the Old Testament. It's over. Like the land's being taken by God in heaven. He's gonna bring Jerusalem down. Like we don't, We just take our delight in him and live our lives free and grateful and like, thank you. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but man, I know you. (laughs) Then he says, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You know what causes heart disease? More than any other thing, fat. I'm not being judgmental, it's just true. And we're so we're we're so much more worried about our physical looks and our physical problems than we are people's spiritual fat that they're carrying around. I mean, They are carrying around so much baggage. And God's like, I want to cut it away. The fat was always burned up completely on the altar. You didn't eat it. You burned it up completely. It's an offering to God. And he says, stop thinking that you have the right to be comfortable and live luxuriously And indulge yourself. You didn't earn it. It's only God's delight that you have anything, that you have life and breath today. And if you live that way, it will change the way you see people, see the world, do your job, everything. It just will. I struggle with it just as much as you guys do. I have to wake up every morning and reset my mind. and get. My, no, today is the day that the Lord hath made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. His, his mercies are new every day. I say those words to myself every morning because it's a struggle. I don't know what's going to happen that day, but he says, man, delight in me today. Delight in getting to work today. Delight in getting to show that I can use you and create fruit, the fruit of work, the fruit of money, all those things, and then use them, send them out, Solomon says, because you don't know. So find delight in all of it. Otherwise, if you can't find delight in it, you're going to go back to slavery, just like God's people wanted to go back to Egypt, because at least the slavery, I know how to kind of manage that. I know what it produces, but this scary walking with God and trusting Him and stepping out, oh, ah. I mean, yeah, I saw a big, you know, a sea part, and I saw us go across, and Pharaoh's army killed, and man has fallen down from heaven, and there's a mountain with fire and smoke, and Moses is glowing, and I mean, there's all that, it's pretty amazing, but you know, I can't really trust God. And we're just as bad as they are. We have the scriptures that lay out everything of God's faithfulness. The most accurate book ever written, every time they try to disprove it wrong and find ancient manuscripts, it gets buried because it proves it right. And we look at the Bible and we're like, oh, it's just, I just really don't feel like reading my Bible today. I, don't really, I really don't feel like, like delighting in God and seeing miracles and amazing things happen. So I'd rather just, you know, watch whatever Netflix shows on. Why? Because our hearts go here. And isn't it great that God says, even though you do that, you can know that you still have heaven and that I still delight in you because you're my child, because you made a decision to follow me. And I'll discipline you, I'll punish you, I'll walk with you as long as it takes because you're my kid. And that's never going to change because your DNA is now my DNA because you believe in the blood of Christ. Wow, what a message. Ecclesiastes goes on. It says, If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it lies. The tree falls in the woods, do you hear it? I don't know, but it lies there. Okay. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. You cannot control things. If you're waiting for the perfect timing, it ain't going to happen. If you're waiting for the next piece of information, the next, the next, well, when this happens, and when that, and then this, and that, it's just step out in faith. Because you don't know what's going to, ra- oh, the clouds, are, oh, it didn't rain. Oh, it's not going to rain. Oh, it's raining. Like, God actually does that on purpose to you. Have you not figured that out? Like, it's purposeful. He purposely wants to show you, you don't know. I love you. I want to take my delight in you. Now, would you please take your delight in me? Hello. Like, it's what he does all the time. Throughout all of creation. And we're so consumed with not dying or not messing up that we don't sow. We're unwilling to take the chance to scatter seed. Oh, I don't want to waste this seed, right? I gotta have the perfect soil, then I'll plant it. I gotta make sure that the stars all align before I can share the gospel with somebody because I don't want to offend them. Offend them. Like, I had a past Susan's pastor told me this, I've shared this before. He told me one time, he looked at me and he goes, Look, Why are you so scared of offending someone by trying to tell them about your delight in Jesus? Like, what are you so scared of of just telling somebody, I just delight in Jesus, he saved me, he loves me. Like, what are you so scared of? Like, are you afraid you're going to offend them so bad you're going to send them to hell number two? They're already going to hell. There's not like a hell two. If they're, I mean, now, can you be rude and mean and like make people upset with you? Yeah, and you know what? God amazingly still saves people that are hurt by the church and have a mess in their life. Some of you may even have come to faith because of that. Because of Christians that treated you like dirt and then you started reading your Bible like Martin Luther did at the Reformation and he read the Bible and he goes, those people treat me like dirt. They have no idea what salvation is. They don't even, I don't even think they know their Bible. And so he posts 95 things on the thesis of the church story. He's like, hey, there's these 95 things that you guys don't do that I'm really struggling with and I found them in the Bible. And what they do to Martin Luther? They kicked him out of the church and wanted to kill him. Because he believed the Bible. Because he took his delight in God and for the first time in his life, instead of beating himself into submission, instead of starving himself to try to feel like he delighted in God and he could get to heaven for the first time in his life, he read the book of Galatians and he said, oh my goodness, it's a free gift given by a loving God. And he took his delight in that and it changed the world and it changed the trajectory of the church forever. Solomon says, look, if you worried about where's the tree going to fall, and how's the, like, you'll never sow. You'll never send your grain out. And you know what? It shows. People who love God don't have to try to share their faith, because they're doing it all the time. It just comes out. Just like someone who loves IU basketball, you don't need to know they love IU basketball. It'll come out. Basketball seasons come, oh, here's, and this player and that player, and here's the stats, and the recruits are in, and and I mean, you know, like, oh, you're a fan of IU basketball, aren't you? How did you know? I've never sat down with you and explained to you, like, yes, IU exists, And IU is red like blood, and I bleed IU. And like, I've never explained, I've never invited you to trust IU with me. How did you know? Because you talk about IU all the time. You wear shirts and emblems with it on there, like it's on your car. Like it's everywhere. How could you not know you love IU? And that's exactly what Solomon's saying. He's like, look, don't look around and worry. Just tell people how much you delight. Don't worry about what you don't know. Tell them what you do know. You know, if someone looked at you and said, you know, you, you met somebody and you're talking, and you're like, oh, I love IU, and then they, you realize they love IU more, and it's like they start talking about things, you're like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know that, and then they're like, I don't know if you're really a fan if you don't know their new recruits that's coming in. Like, you don't really keep up on things, do you? You're not really that great of a fan, and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not a fan. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought I really liked IU, but I don't think I do. What? No, you just, that's, you don't track that part. Okay, fine. You know enough. It's the same with Christ. Take your delight in him. Don't be so consumed. Quit looking at this and that and just say, you know what? I'm just going to tell people I delight in God. And I'm going to delight in God today. When I eat my lunch, I'm going to pray. I'm going to delight in God. Thanks, God. For this food. I love you. And people are going to look and they go, you pray. Oh, yeah, I did. I, I try to pray before I eat because I'm just so thankful for a God that provides grain and it comes on the everywhere, and I get it. It's just amazing to me. If we would just do that, it wouldn't be shocking to people when we share our faith with them. You're a Christian? I had no idea. That's exactly what Solomon's realizing when it's too late. Jesus goes on. He says another story. He says, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors love people that pay them. They love it. I love you people because you pay me so well. And if you greet only brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary that anybody else does? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Like, can you imagine if an IU fan really loved a Purdue fan? What? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? A Purdue fan really loved an IU fan instead of shouting obscenities from the crowd and having to, like, send out public apologies from their fans? Be careful how you love. We do love with truth. You can say, you stink. Your record shows it. Like, you can do that. You lost. That's not being mean. That's just truth. You lost because you can't hit a three-point shot. Purdue, anyway. 15% from the three-point line. You cannot, that's just, oh my goodness. Okay, moving on. Jesus is like, you still got to love your enemies. That doesn't mean you give them what they want. Doesn't mean you roll over and play dead. It means you love the game. You love what you're getting to do. You love the fact that We don't know what's going to happen, and I'm delighting in the Lord, and I want you to delight in the Lord, and so this isn't about you and me. This is about something way bigger than you and me. And i got to love you the way God tells me to love you, not the way you want to be loved. Oh, that's the big problem. Because sometimes I need to be loved in a way that I don't want to be loved. This week, Betty and Anvi are celebrating their wedding anniversary. How many years is it? 55 years of marriage, Betty and Anvi in our church. And I sent him a video. Susan and I sent him a video yesterday just to congratulate him. And it was this beautiful, wonderful, awesome, like, praise God moment. Because I'll never forget a few years ago when Betty confronted me. Betty never confronts me. I don't know if she confronts anybody. She's the nicest human being you'll ever meet. Well, of course, she did Joanna, her kids. But anyway, so, but like, she came up to me after church. And, and it was at a season when I was going through a lot personally in our home our family we were going through a lot in the church there was a lot of pain people were leaving it was it was not good and I was just a mess I I, and I didn't realize how big of a mess I was and one Sunday after church Betty came up to me and it's changed me I've memorized scripture because of this conversation she came up to me and she said Matt she goes you know that that was a good message she goes she goes I just feel like um like are you mad at us all (laughs) And I went, no, I'm not, I'm not mad at you at all. She's like, seems like you're really mad at us. And, and I'm like, okay, and then she left. Her auntie left, and I had to deal with that. She calls me and says, I need to talk to you, pastor. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't speak to the pastor that way. I'm so, I just ask your forgiveness, and I'm like, no, no, Betty, you have no idea what your words did for me. I didn't realize that all the pain I was feeling and the people leaving and the mess in our family, I didn't realize how bitter I was becoming and how that was coming out of me and I didn't think it was coming out of me. And I said, that changed me. So thank you. And she goes, yeah, but do you still forgive me? <laughs> yes, Betty, I forgive you. <laughs> but thank you. Like that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, be careful you don't become an enemy and you don't even know it. And if someone confronts you, don't just assume they're your enemy. It may be God sent them to love you. Goes on and says this in Ecclesiastes. Just as you don't know the path of the wind. (laughs) Last night, we did not know the path. The wind was straight in our face. That's all we knew. 30 miles an hour with blinkers on down the highway from Muncie to Indy. Like, that's the path. And I'm like, there's the path. Oh, rumble strip. There's the path. Oh, rumble strip. It was great. And it says, where how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman. You don't know how that works. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Quit acting like you do. Quit acting like you're so important, you have something important to say. Like, just preach the word. That's the important stuff. Like You think you know how things are going to work out? You have no idea. You think if we fix certain problems in our country, it's going to get all better and God's going to bless us? It may get worse. Solomon was the, I mean, it's Solomon's day, they were the most blessed ever that God's people had ever been in the history of the world to this day, ever. At the most peace, most riches, everything going great, and Solomon's like, I blew it. And I see what's going to happen now, because I didn't send it out, I stored it up. You see, the truth is, you have to know his character And why his law is good for you to reveal his character to others. They're going to know if you delight in him or not. It's going to come out. You can't hide it. You can't fake it. And you know the fake delight people. Those people about drive you nuts, right? I just delight in the Lord. And you're like, are you really that? Or are you like, mm, mm." and maybe they are, but mm, most of the time it's a cover up, right? And they're like, we just delight in the Lord. And then they go home and they're like, let's kill him. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it is. And we do it. We can do the same thing. Oh, I just love Jesus I praise God. Did you see what he did? I mean, as soon as we're out the door. Man, be careful in our hearts, Solomon says. Be careful. You don't know how God is going to work in that person's life, in your enemy's life, in that per- You don't know. Don't ask like, like you do. However, you do know the truth. So give them that. Don't hide the truth. Don't say, well, I don't want to share it with him because I don't know what's going to happen. No, just share what's true. Give the truth and trust God to, to do the rest, he says. Delight in him. James says, come now you who say today or tomorrow will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while then vanishes. You're like a match in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, it smells better. (laughs) That's all you are. That's all I am. And then he goes on and he says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. We all want to tell people we got it figured out. I just want people to know God has it figured out. And be careful you don't confuse those two things. Because there's a lot of people running around saying they have visions and dreams. They have all this stuff and I'm like, it doesn't match the scripture. So I don't believe your vision or dream. And I'm not going to believe a prophet until it's tested. So why don't you just keep that to yourself? See, God is long-suffering. He proves his visions and dreams are true over generations. Sometimes he'll even be silent to an entire generation. Say, do you still trust me? And you're watching people die off. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I said this was going to happen. Do you still trust me? He did that multiple times in the Old Testament. Entire generation of people died off in the wilderness. Entire generation of people died off in Babylon. He's like, do you still trust me? Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, because you're looking for you. You're looking for your delight, not God's delight. You're looking for your delight, not your enemy's delight. Not the next generation's delight. Because you don't know. So stop acting like you do. And when people are running around proclaiming, I know, God told me this and God told me that, and then it doesn't happen, that's the definition of a false prophet. And those people were stoned to death in the Old Testament. Anybody that would say that God was going to do something and it didn't happen, they immediately went, that's dangerous. That's the most evil act. Other acts we can actually go to a court of law. But if you do that, you're dead. Boom. Gone. Because we don't mess with God's word. And we got people running around that are finding other things to delight in than God's word. Ecclesiastes goes on, Solomon says, in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not let your hand rest, because you don't know. He says it like four times in this passage. You don't know what will succeed, whether one will or the other, or if both of them will be equally as good. You have no idea. Scatter it, man. Like, Be generous. You don't know how it's going to work. I'm just looking for that perfect investment, that perfect opportunity. Just be generous. Like, why? Don't not be wise. Don't just be dumb, right, and be like, I'm going to scatter seed in the middle of a rock forest. Like, okay, but did God tell you to do that, or are you just trying to prove a point? He says, look, like, you don't know what's going to succeed or not. You don't know how a conversation like Betty did with me is going to change someone and it's going to be remembered forever. And all of a sudden, I've been working for the last three years on how to rejoice and delight in God again. So this message is from here. I don't care if you guys don't listen to it. I need this message. Because I get mad at God. I'm God. I'm tired of this. I don't know what's going to happen and why and why. And God's like, hello, me and you good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Good, just stay right here. We're good. Delight in me. Jesus said it this way. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night, rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. I don't know how that works, but it, it works. You scatter seed, and somehow people come, like, I'm, I don't know. And then he goes, the soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, In other words, he says there's a process you can see. And there's a process you can test to see if this is good crop. If this is really God's fruit or not. That's not judging someone's salvation. Judging someone's salvation is condemning them. It's not saying, hey, look, you don't look like what the Bible says you should look like. I'm concerned for you. Are you sick? Is there a problem? I love you enough to ask you. He goes on and he says, It produces the head, then the ripe grain on the head. If there's no grain, and if it's not ripe grain, and it's not the right grain, then you can say, that ain't grain. That's not fruit. Why? It doesn't mean that person is condemned and cursed, I cut it, you dumb, stupid. No, that's not. You go, okay, it's not good. Does it need help? Do we need to water it more? Does the soil? What do we need to do? Or is this really a weed? I don't know. And Jesus said, you're not allowed to tear them up to find out. He said, you got to leave them until they produce their fruit. And he comes back as the harvester. And then he says, but as soon as the crop is ready, look at that, he sins for the sickle because the harvest has come. It goes on in Matthew. Jesus told him another parable. He says, he told them many things in parables, saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. Jump down to verse 19, and he explains what he just told them. He said, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom, Jesus him coming to he- from heaven to earth and how God's going to build his kingdom through a Messiah that's going to come and save them, okay? And doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in that person's heart. This is the one sown along the path, a, a hard path. You're scattering. The one sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They're like, oh, that's exciting. I've never heard this before. Yet he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He has no root in him. But it's short-lived, and when pressure or persecution comes, because of the word, he doesn't stand up to the word, his life doesn't match the word, it says, immediately he stumbles. I'm out of here. How dare you confront me? How dare? And then it says, lastly, he goes on and he says, now the one who's sown among the, or two more, the one who's sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth, which we've been reading about, not to store up, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You're not sending it out on the waters. And then he says, it becomes unfruitful, but the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word. So that's this, this, it's the head, right? So he hears, he shoots up, then he gets a head, right, understands the word, and then bears fruit and yield some 100 some 60 some 30 times what was sown. Now that doesn't mean it's going to do 30 times right now. It may be that that piece of grain's planted overseas somewhere. It took decades to get there. They find some grain in a bottle like I don't know what that is. Let's plant it. See what happens. And then it grows. You you're not in control of that. God says. Jesus went on and he said, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grains, the weeds also appeared. We live in a world full of weeds. It's just the way it is. We have an enemy that's constantly trying to keep the word of God from sinking into your heart, sinking into my heart. We have a world around us, and even a Christian world, where we've trained Bettys to ask forgiveness for confronting pastors. Why? Should, yeah, you shouldn't bring an accusation too quickly against an elder, the scripture says. She wasn't accusing me. She was like, it just seems like you're mad. She was like, you're a mad person. That's not what she did. She came to me lovingly kindly, a person who's proved her faith out for years and proves her faith out in our church. That's the kind of person I want to listen to. Jesus says, man, that's the person you should listen to because God's trying to produce a harvest and you want to be a part of it. You see, learn to rejoice in your life. Learn to rejoice in what you get to do, not in the results. Thank God for the results, but just believe that he's going to produce the results. You can't control what the seed does or where it hits the soil. Just spread it, he says. Ecclesiastes goes on and says, Light is sweet and is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness. Remember where you came from. Remember how dark it used to be. You may just see a glimmer of light, but that's better than no light. And I've been in the darkness where I wanted to take my life before and die. And when God's light came in, I've never gone all the way back to the darkness again. It's gotten dark sometimes. It gets narrowed in. But boy, God does a great job of just taking the blinders off and showing me himself again. Because he loves me. He Goes on and he says, Remember the days, since they may be many, and all that comes is futile. Everything on this earth is just futile. You're going to do it, and it's going to break. And it's going to start, and you just, you're going to buy new appliances, and then you need all new appliances if you live too long. That's just the way it goes. Like, that's life. And he goes on, and he says, look at this, rejoice, young man, while you're young. We live in a culture full of angry young men, and it's killing us because we've not taught them to rejoice in the Lord. Angry young men. Frustrated. Jordan Peterson, who's a famous psychologist, popular over the last several years, when he first came to popularity, he bought an auditorium, and he was just wanted to share the message that he had with people about the need to, to think about like God again, and think about our lives, and what we do, and he didn't know what was going to happen. He did it on his own money, his own dime. And he said the shocking part about it, and everyone was shocked, that like 98% of his audience were young males between the ages of 17 and 25. He said, if I would have went to a bank and tried to get a loan to get 17 to 25-year-old males to come here a psychological talk for over an hour and take Q&A for another hour, no bank in their right mind would have given me a loan for that event. they had been like, No, they're home playing video games. They're they're not interested. And then he said, now that I am trying to help these young men, I'm vilified for it. I'm vilified for trying to help young men that are hurting because you just forget them. Guys, if we lose the young men of our culture, our culture's done. Because young men have testosterone and they kill things. And they'll kill us. I mean, we have got to get serious about what Solomon says. Man, young men, learn how to take your delight in the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen, and it's okay. And don't believe all the promises of the world that tell you how to be a man. Be the man God tells you to be and delight in who he tells you you are and he is. Period. If you do that, everything else will fall into place. And Solomon realizes it because he realizes I didn't take my delight in God. I delighted in women. I delighted in money. I delighted in wealth. I delighted in my career and in my kingship. I delighted in all this stuff. And I realize now I missed it. Now he's warning and he's saying, let your heart be glad in the days of your youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Like walk in the ways of your heart. What ways does your heart want to walk? What do your eyes keep wanting to look at? Because that exposes where your delight is. And Solomon says that's exactly what happens. You can say you delight in God. You can say you believe in God. You can say you believe in Jesus. But where does your heart and your eyes go? Because Solomon says, my heart and my eyes are on full display where they went. And I'm in trouble and my nation's in trouble. Psalm says this. May he, God, give you what your heart desires. We love that verse. That's a verse that people love to quote. Here's the problem. The second part of that verse is, and fulfill your whole purpose. The reason he wants to give you the desires is so you can fulfill the purpose of going out and telling the world how much you delight in God. That's the purpose. That's the whole purpose of your life. That's what Solomon says. The purpose, the conclusion of the matter at the end of the day is fear God and obey him and show people how to do that. That's it. Psalm 37, David writes, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Or I'm sorry, he says, take your delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. We love that part. We don't like the part before it that says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. We're, we can't stand to stay in one place. We got to run and go and everything else. It's like, no, just stay and then send the grain out. And sometimes you go out and you come back, but like Don't be so consumed with having to experience everything. That's what Solomon did. He said, I experienced everything. I didn't deny my heart anything. I delighted in anything I could find. Every delicacy of the world, every woman I could find. Oh boy, did I take delight in this world. And it's meaningless and futile and I'm miserable. And I've ruined a nation. As we wrap up, he goes on to say this. Yes, rejoice when you are young, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. Be careful what your heart desires. Be careful what you slap on to say that God wants me to have that, and God wants me to have this, and God wants me, and God, be very careful because God is going to bring everything to judgment. And you might as well judge now whether God wants you to have it, then be judged later. So how about you do some judgment now and invite some other people to help you make good judgments now so you don't have to deal with the judgment later and others don't have to deal with the judgment of your mess later like Solomon has created for his nation and comes for his entire nation and they are judged harshly. The entire northern kingdom slaughtered by Assyria. A few tens of thousands survive the Babylonian captivity and the rest are slaughtered because of this. He says, "Remove sorrow from your heart, Matt. You seem like you're mad all the time. It's because I'm so sad. My heart's just broken. And put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. See, Solomon's an old man writing this at the end of his life. He's like, youth and the prime of life—they're <laughs> gone. Before you'll wake up and you'll be like." I'm talking about old guys, and he's in the mirror. Like That's what's going to happen. You'll be like, those old people. Wow. I need to put a hat on. It's going to happen to you like that. And Solomon's like, so remove the sorrow. Remove and put away the pain, because you can take your delight in the Lord and know that he has you. Man, put it in that. And he doesn't give up on you. If you're here today, it means he hasn't given up on you. You'd be out delighting in something else instead of being here. You would. So praise God you're here because it means you're not, God's not done with you yet. And you don't know what's going to happen. You say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen, but i got to get to people and to a place that does know. And so you're here. Man, praise the Lord. Solomon goes on. The Bible goes on and tells us all the things we should rejoice in. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in salvation and righteousness. Rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and found. Rejoice in the truth. Rejoice because your grief led you to repentance. Look at all these things to rejoice over. They're not the things we typically rejoice over. They're the things we get mad about and all. No, God's like, no, no, you got to learn to rejoice in these things because it means you're doing the right thing. Rejoice in it. Take your delight that God seems that you're worthy to, like, understand these things and experience these things. God has said, you're so, I just want you to know. I'm inviting you in. Come on, you're a part of this family. This is what our family does. We go out, we do this, we do, it's great, but, man, it's hard. Yeah, I know, but, man, we all encourage each other. It's so wonderful meaningful ecclesiastes finishes 12 1 says this so remember i love that solomon goes through this he says you don't know what's going to happen take your delight in the lord and then he comes down beginning of chapter 12 as he's written 11 chapters and he says you better remember your creator in the days of your youth see we forget our creator when we're young because we think we're creating stuff then we get old and we realize i couldn't create nothing I've just broken lives and messed things up. Everything I thought I created broke and now I got to fix it. I got to create it again. It's like, and now I'm too old to create it again and it's not going to happen. And it's like, it's like, uh. and so Solomon's like, remember your creator when you're young because it establishes a foundation for you to remember forever. That's why you want to raise up children in the Lord so that when they're old, the Bible says they can't get away from it. They just, they can't get away from it. It's just always there. Even if they try to get away from it, it's like, oh, my parents, yeah, my grandparents. It's like, at least your parents tried. Man, you should rejoice in that. Quit being mad at them all the time. I was that with my parents. I was mad for so long because they didn't do it right. My dad's like, I didn't know what I was doing. They literally sent us off from the hospital. Here's a kid. Like, I, okay, thanks a lot. And we took you to church. Why did I take you to church? Because that's where I came to know Jesus. I went to church. I heard a sermon. I committed my life. I got baptized. But you didn't. You walked the aisle three times. You got baptized three times. But you never came to know Jesus. Is that my fault? I'm like, actually, no, it's not. It's the church's fault. And I watched it change my parents. I watched my parents be the happiest, most rejoicing people I've ever met. And I'm like, how? How are you so happy? You fall off the toilet and have to call the paramedics to come get you up. And you laugh about it. And they pray for them. And they laugh about it. I'm like, how? I would be embarrassed to even mention it. And they're like, nope, dad fell off the toilet again. It was hilarious. But they came and got him so I could get to church. But he stayed home. Like, I'm like, is this a real story or am I reading a book? Like, they just have joy that they're alive, that they get to serve, that they get to pray for me and Pray for their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Like, they just have joy about life. And I'm like, I hope I'm that way. I hope I'm like Betty and Andy. I hope I'm like my parents and my grandparents were. But I don't know, because I'm not doing so well right now. i got to remember my creator. And I'm glad I have people that help me. And then he says, Be sure you remember your creator before the days of adversity come. And the years approach when you'll say, I have no delight in them. There is going to come a day, Solomon says it all the way through the book, where you will come to the end and you will say, I am so sick of this life. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I have nothing left. And you, like Jesus, will pull yourself up on the cross and say, it is finished. And you will fall and you will go to your father and he will give you life again. Because you took your delight in serving everyone else and you poured everything else you you had out so that others could know. And they had no idea. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And then he pulls himself up, he's suffocating, and he pulls himself up and he says, it's finished, finally. All of the Bible, everything history's been waiting for, everything that I've lived for, it's done That's God's word for you and for me. Take your delight in him. You don't know. You're not going to know. But you can know he delights in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you for Solomon's just brutal honesty. You had him write this final book or at least compile it so that we could see the meaningless of life. We could see the truth about what you actually say throughout all of your work. It's a truth that's been twisted and and messed up over all generations and people try to use you and use the truth of your word for their own advantage and you say it's wicked. Lord, help us not to do that. Help us to truly know that we can know you, that you do give us just enough to know like faith like a child so that we can know you and know enough to take our delight in you being our heavenly father and that we have a heavenly father We have a son in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us, not because of what we've done or how good we've been, but because what you have done. And so, Lord, I just pray for me, and I pray for those in this room, and I pray that you would help us to take our delight in you and rejoice. You'd help us to take our delight in all that you've done and all the bread that you've given in your word and trust you for new each day. And Lord, if we go hungry, it's okay because we know someday we'll be fed forever. And so Lord, help us like you on the cross to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To declare the truth that they don't know what they're doing. To look at people and say, you don't know what you're doing. And at the same time, understand that we're going to come to a point in our life where we say, it is finished. And you're going to take us home to be with you. And I pray we don't short circuit that process. Because you have seed you want us to sow. You have grain you want us to send out. You have rejoicing you want us to do when we're young and work to do. And so God, help us to do it with full delight in you, we pray. And so Lord, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you. Lord, if today is the day that they're finally gonna say, I'm done finding the delights of the world. I'm gonna take my full delight in who Jesus is and what God has done. I pray today would be that day for them. And that it would start an entirely new life for them not because of what they've done, but because of what you've done because they know that they can't measure up. And you forgive their sin and you set them free. And for, thus, for us who are believers, man, change our face like Solomon said earlier. Give us a smile even when we don't feel like you. Help us to take our delight in you because you are good. We pray in you.